So I was, uh, last week, I was in Ireland. I went away with a group. Uh, I guess there were 23 of us total, and it was, um, it was a great week. It was sort of like a, kind of like a pilgrimage. Um, we had mass, I think every, every day but one, we had mass. Uh, different churches and monasteries uh, in the country. And we were really on the move. We, uh, I think we, we stayed in six different places over eight days. So it was a lot of travel, um, but a great trip. Um, I think we kind of struck a, a good balance between uh, kind of church stuff and fun stuff. I mean, not that church stuff can be fun too, but, you know, it was sort of like the prayer stuff and the pub stuff, you know, music and hanging out at night. So it was just kind of a, a, good, a good combination. The weather was incredibly great, Typic, not typical Irish weather, sun every day. And just the scenery, I mean, if you've been to Ireland, you know what I'm talking about. The scenery is just crazy. And when the sun's out, that's all the better. As great as that was, as great as the weather and the scenery and the music and the pubs and the prayer was, um, the masses we had were really important. They were a really important piece of this trip. And it's not just me saying it. Uh, throughout, the people on the trip kept, kept coming up and saying, man, that was just so so powerful and just us being together in the context of prayer and Eucharistic prayer. Um, everybody said it, because I just know everybody was feeling it. The most special mass that we had, and certainly for me, and I think, again, for everybody else, actually wasn't even in a church. We were outside on this hill overlooking the ocean. We were up in the northwest part of Ireland in Donegal. And the reason we were there was very intentional. Um, we got out of the bus after this pretty long, very winding trip in the very remote area. And we went looking for this, what they call a mass rock. Mass rock. And it was uh, essentially like a, like a stone altar that was built probably 250 years ago. It was, it was built by the Irish, the Catholics in Ireland, 17th, 18th century, for a very specific reason. Because the church had pretty much been outlawed. They called them the, the penal laws. And it was an attempt on the part of the British to crush the church. So the church was stripped of its uh, all kind of religious freedom. Church properties were seized. Clergy had to leave the country. Essentially, it became illegal to be Catholic, at least in a public way. And if you failed to comply with this, it was trouble, like pretty serious penalty. Imprisonment, you know, they'd seize your property. In some cases, they'd kill you. So these mass rocks were built because the Irish weren't, I wasn't gonna stop these Catholics. They weren't buying these restrictions. Now, the churches were shut. You couldn't go to a church anymore. They had been closed. So what they would do is they'd find a remote place outside of the village where it was, you know, relatively safe. They'd build this altar, and they'd celebrate Mass. Knowing that, if they got caught, they'd pay a price. Like 
a crazy price. If the priest was caught, he probably loses life. So anyway, we found this rock. It wasn't on the map. We knew it was a, that, this general area. So we went looking, literally got out of the bus and started walking around looking. And in the distance, we saw what looked like a group of rocks piled up, and that's what it was. So it was very cool. I brought the stuff you need for mass, the bread and the wine and the book. But it was way more than cool. Like, we all just kind of knew we were in this very sacred place because of what had happened in this place a long time ago. You know, throughout the Mass, I kept thinking about those people who gathered, probably at night, probably looking, looking everywhere, hoping they weren't going to see any British soldiers who came. And they took chances. They risked a lot to receive communion. Would you? Would we? Like how much would we risk? How much would we risk giving up if being, if we were seen here? If there was a price to be paid for coming to church, how many of us would say, yeah, well, I'm just not not coming? I was thinking about it as a priest because the biggest punishment was for the priest. I was thinking to myself, how far would I go? Would I risk jail to celebrate mass? Think about it. You know, would you risk maybe even losing your life to celebrate the Eucharist? So I kept thinking, like, who were these people? Because they did. The people and the priests, they risked it. There's no question of that. And we also know some paid prices. It's like, who were these people? Jesus said to the crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And then the people say, what? That's crazy talk. What is he talking about eating, eating his body and drinking his blood? It sounds like a, like a horror movie or something. They're not buying it. And then Jesus says, amen, amen. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. You know who those people were? I think that I kept wondering, like, what kind of person would take those chances? I think they were people who believed these words. They believed in that, like, no, no. When I eat his body, when I receive this Eucharist, he's with me. They believed that. So they were willing to risk it all. But if you're not really buying it, if you're not really believing it, why take a chance of losing your job or your house or maybe your life? Basically, Jesus said, you eat my flesh, if you receive me, you will live forever. You will be okay. You will never be alone. There will always be hope. 
And I suspect those people, they just flat out believe that. So it led to this absolutely heroic faith. He said, amen, amen, Jesus did. You know, he says that a couple of times in the Gospels. Not always, but every once in a while, kind of out of the blue, he'll, he'll begin his statement. Before he makes the statement, he goes, amen, amen. Well, the scripture experts say he was, that meant something back then. We hear it and we're like, okay, whatever, amen, amen. It meant, it meant this. His saying amen, amen was like, listen up. Write this down. Don't miss this point. Hey, remember when you were in school and a teacher would be like, write this down. Copy this down. In other words, I'm testing you on this. You need to know this. So write it down. It's important. Read my lips. This is big. That's what amen, amen says. And Jesus said it after they were doubting. They were like, oh, come on, eat his body, drink his blood. That's crazy talk. He's like, it's not crazy talk. And it's not symbolic poetry. I'm telling you, this is what I mean. And if you receive me, you will be fine. Well, if you really believe that, then you take chances for that. And you gather around that mass rock and you risk things and you're willing to sacrifice things because of the power and the reality of what the Eucharist is. I said at the beginning of Mass that it's this Corpus Christi. It's a feast day, the church, the body and blood of Christ. We have it every year, right around this time of the year. And it's very practical. It's basically the church saying, amen, amen. There's kind of nothing bigger than the Eucharist. For us as Catholics, this is it. If we don't take this seriously, everything else is kind of a joke. We have got to be committed to this or we're really not getting any of it. So the church said, no, we're gonna do an entire weekend every year just to drive the point home. Amen, amen. You know, when I was in, uh, getting ready to leave Ireland, we flew out of Dublin, and while we were there for about a day and a half at the end, so I went into, uh, we were in the city, and there's a part of uh, Dublin, uh, if you've been there, you, you, and in Dublin, you probably went to this street, it's called Grafton Street, and it's kind of cool, it's a little bit like uh, Greenwich Village, it uh, was a street that they closed off, so now there's no traffic, so everybody can kind of walk around. And they got some cool stores, but the best part of it is the, uh, the musicians. Every 25 yards, there's people singing and playing music. And they're really good, like one is as good as the next. Anyway, uh, at one point there was this guy and he was playing, uh, it's called a tin whistle. It's a very kind of simple flute, very Irish. And he was amazing. People were stopping and listening and staying. I was loving it. I, I actually, I play the tin whistle. I stink at it, I'm awful. Um, and I'm a total wannabe. Like I wanted to be that guy there. So I was like sitting there watching him. I couldn't get enough of it. Anyway, he stopped playing and I left. About an hour later, I went to get something to eat. And I'm eating in this like little sandwich place and the whistle guy walks in. So I'm like, oh man, that's the guy I was just listening to. And he orders a sandwich, and he sits kind of almost across, right next to me. Different booth, but right near me. 
So I kind of said to him, uh, I thanked him for his music. I said, it was so great, it was so great. I told him I played a bit and he didn't seem to care about that at all, but uh, we kind of talked a little bit. And I asked him, I said, how, do you, how did you get so good? Like how do you, how and where and when did you learn to play? And he said, uh, he said, it just always was. Like he said, it was just in my house growing up. He said, my father played, my father was a great musician, my mother was always singing. He said it was in the water. Like you couldn't not know it. It was in the water. You know, Friday night here, 28 eighth graders graduated from the school. And they're off to high school in a couple of months. Well, they went to a place for eight years, or 10 years in some cases, right? 11 years. They went to a place where he was in the water. Where Jesus was just in the water. You couldn't not know it. You couldn't not feel it. It's what makes that place so great. Everything else about it is important, but the Jesus thing is most. Because the Jesus thing we need forever. The older we get, I think maybe arguably the more we need him. And he was just in the water. He just is in the water over there. And you need people to keep him in the water. You need people to make sure that he's in the water so that he's just a given in your life. And some people commit their lives and their careers and their hearts to just that, to keeping him in the water. So Mrs. Khan, we thank you for that, for 10 years keeping him in the water because there's a bunch of kids and now young adults who know him because you made sure he was in the water. You know, that guy, the whistle guy, I was complimenting him and he was very humble about it. He was like, no, he's like, he's like I'm not even that good. I'm not even that good. I was like, what? You're fantastic. And he said, you should hear my brother. And he talked about his brother, and he said his brother's just a natural. He just sort of like, you pick up the instrument and he can pretty much in a couple of minutes, he's playing it. It just comes easy. He said, yeah, he, he, he was taught all this stuff because it was in the water, music. But then he kind of got away from it when he got older and then returned to it and really fell in love with it. I was thinking about that when I was coming home on the plane, I was thinking about that idea of, well, that was music and how for some, like, it, it just comes easy. For some, it's math comes easy. For some, throwing a baseball comes easy. For some, drawing a picture really well just comes easy. And for the rest of us, it's like, ah, it's not so good. We gotta work at it. And I was thinking, man, faith is probably like that too. 
For some, it just comes more easily. I mean, think about people you know. Think about your family. Think about your siblings. Maybe your kids. Maybe your grandkids. Some are more into it than others. Faith. Some of them, you know, kind of take it more seriously than others. It's just, it's like, it just comes easy. And for others, it's a little bit more work. It's like when you're not so good at math, you gotta work harder at it. And I think for some, for whatever reason, like the faith thing, it just takes more work. It's doable, but I just gotta commit a little bit more to it. You know, think of people who like go to church. They go to church because it's something they should do. That's a good reason, right? But then you meet some people who go to church because it's something they want to do. There's a difference between should and want, isn't there? I mean, bottom line is, you're there. But what gets me there? What gets us here? What got those people standing around that rock, risking everything? Was it the difference between should and want? I go to church because I should go. Yeah, I got to a point though where I go to church because I, I wanna go. Because I know I'm missing something when I'm not here. It's the words he spoke. We miss him. Amen, amen, like listen up. I don't know, which one, which one are you? Does it come easy, faith? Or is it more work? Is it more should? Or is it more want? All I know is this. Those people who stood around that rock, I want to be like them. I want mass rock faith. Don't you? Shouldn't we be like them? Amen, amen.